What's going on, everybody? We are back. Welcome to the Cinephile Roundtable, brought to you by RealTalking.com. I'm your host, David. I am joined with today, JC. What's going on? Very excited to dive into this filmography. And Elliot. What's going on, everybody? This is going to be a great discussion. Can't wait to dive deep into Mr. Fincher. Oh, yeah. Especially after the quote-unquote divisiveness going on on social media over the last three days should be an interesting conversation uh we're gonna dive into david fincher all his works his career but before we get into that there's you know a little discussion that we need to have about the state of the film industry and that is with the news that warner's entire 2021 slate is going to release day and date meaning it's going to release in theaters and on hbo max uh this could be the ball game in terms of the importance of the box office could be depending on how everything goes uh first thoughts when you first heard the news i'll start off with elliot um honestly man I, the writing's been on the wall for a while as we all kind of know movie theaters have been kind of under going under for a while even pre-covid uh just from uh you know some theaters not to be able to to renovate, you know, the cleanliness of the theaters. I mean, this the theatrical experience has definitely changed since streaming has been more important. TVs have gotten bigger and cheaper. So it's been happening for a while, but obviously with COVID, it, it definitely kind of put the, the coffin in the uh, the nail or the nail in the coffin, I should say. But yep. at the end of the day, I don't think we'll, there'll never be a universe that I think we'll live in that there won't be any theaters at all. Like, I don't think the theater theatrical experience will be extinct, but I think there will be a difference of what goes to theater how streaming services will be more instrumental to smaller uh, chains or studios, A24, Neon, and even some of the big studios. Some of their more independent films might find their way on streaming services. But it was uh, the thing that I do applaud. I might be uh, a hot take here. The thing I do applaud with Warner Brothers' decision is they made a decision. We've seen so many studios just kind of put their hands in the air. We see studios or, or, say, movie theaters, they have literally done nothing to kind of combat COVID-19. They haven't you know, come up with ideas to either use their, I don't know, parking lots as drive-ins. They just have just sat down. AMC has just been coming off the cuff saying how upset they are. But at least Warner Brothers made a decision, which I applaud them doing so. Yep. Uh, JC? I mean, it's just pretty much said it perfectly. But to me, it's, you know, it's the same as like, I don't think movies are going to be dead, but it's going to become more a commodity where it's like, I think only like, Mar, I feel like Marvel, you know, this thing with the whole Star Wars, like they'll be good, but I definitely see this being like, like where we're gonna see a lot of mid-budget, like prestige movies, like, like Mank, like um, like Ma Rainey's, like those going to streaming services where the theater experience might just be for like big blockbuster movies, like what, like with the streaming, like, like you, you've been saying it, Dave, because you, you just, I remember you sent me the Grinch stuff like because you you've been calling it that warner was going to start putting a lot of their movies on hbo max which i think is fine like the day and date like you guys are lucky because i know i know um ellie has like a drive a drive-in by by his crib that i think you you caught the tenor over there right 
Yeah, I saw Tenet at the drive-in. Yeah, it then, wasn't I'm, a bad experience. It was pretty cool, actually. And then I know David, you call you call Mac and Ma Rain in the theaters because you have like a local theater. With me, it sucks because I'm I'm in New York City, which theaters in the cities have been completely closed. Yeah. So I like I like the option, you know, because there's people that even with you know like it, the HBO Max option, they I've seen people online say like if if their local theater is showing Wonder Woman 1984, they're going to catch it there, which I know you say you're going to do it, David. You're going to catch it in the theaters because Jenny wants to support. Like, if I had that option, it would be different, you because know, it's like, I feel like the, the HBO Max stuff is good because it's like, let's say for The Little Things, one of the movies that nobody knew about is a, is a cop movie with Jared Leto, Denzel, and, um, and Rami. That's a small little thriller copter to probably like 25, 30 minutes, not a budget. That's one that I wouldn't mind catching HBO Max, but you're telling me The Matrix 4, Dune, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. I feel like if people have the option of catching those in the theaters, they'll do it because those like deserve the theatrical experience. Whereas something like that or like, or like, you know, like a, like a 20 minute dollar movie, we're going to just be like, hey, I'm cool with watching at home, no problem. So like I said, is this, there's like good and bad to it, but I like the fact that they at least give the option of if, like if your theater's open, you want to catch it in theaters, you could do it. Yep. If not, you you catch it at you catch it at home. So it's yep. like it's pretty good. Yeah. So I kind of fall under the same uh, opinions you guys have. I think it's fantastic. I think I think this is great news. Uh, the day and date it opens up, and this is something I've been saying for months on here, and Elliot nailed it. I think the theater industry has kind of been on its on life support for a long time already. It's I see outside of big blockbusters, theaters are empty. Like I go see the Oscar movies throughout the throughout the season in, in a theater in New York, and I think JC goes to the same one. Yeah, and Link, Link was Square. Yeah, and there are some movies that I would say are like twenty people, twenty twenty five people. Yeah, in like a two- the, like the the that we know those are the award contenders because like that theater earlier they tend to show like you know how. I mean, yeah, I know you're in Chicago, so sometimes you have to wait like three weeks, some months to get certain Oscar movies until they open wide. In mm-hmm. this theater, uh, since you know, New York is like New York and LA tends to be the heart of the stuff. Like we get the the Oscar movies that so like like David said, like it'll be like twenty. Like I remember when I saw Moonlight, like the first weekend it was open, it was like maybe fifteen people. But those are like I know the the real diehards yeah. that have probably been pol- probably following this as the film festivals. Yeah, and like a perfect example with Moonlight. I saw Moonlight at that theater, and this is with Barry Jenkins there for a Q and A after. The theater was still, I would say, thirty five, fifty people. Even though you had the director there for a Q and A after, so it just shows like how dying the industry is. And I jokingly said last April, I'm like, well, we never need to go to another movie again because I don't think any theater experience is ever going to touch what we felt with Avengers Endgame. And now looking at it, it's like I don't think anything will ever touch what we yeah, went through with Avengers Endgame anymore. Yeah. Um, with the day and date thing, I I think it's great. There are going to be things. JC kind of nailed something that I, that I wanted to touch on: the fact that people are going to be able to see little movies that they wouldn't necessarily go to the theaters for. Like I'm excited, and I'm going to get into it later in my Oscar talk. Um, Judas and Black Messiah hitting. HBO Max, I think it's going to open yeah. a lot of people's eyes because mm-hmm. that movie, not only does it look incredible, it it's so socially relevant that I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes that wouldn't necessarily spend the 15, 20 bucks to go see, the, see it in theaters. Um, yeah, especially with, oh. go, go, go ahead, JC. No, because um, remember, um, 
Fred Hampton plays is played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. in Trials Chicago 7. So the people that, you know, that wanted to see more of his character, they're going to see it in Danny Kaluuya. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be one of those situations where smaller movies are not going to, now going to get a lot more eyes, which is um, really great. And great. one thing that I yeah. did want to mention, too, that I don't know if you mentioned on your YouTube uh, channel, Elliot, the fact that the stock market. And I I dabble in the stock market. I own AMC stock. I own like a lot of shares in other companies or whatever. Disney stock, Netflix stock, these and HBO stock, stuff like that. Like I think it's so dependent now on streaming that the fact that people want the, it's it's a it's a prisoner of the moment kind of world we live in where everyone wants this instant gratification. So the fact that studios are now adhering to that. You know, HBO says this is a one-year thing. I don't believe that. I think it's complete bullshit. I think after... It's a trial run. Yeah. This is not a trial run. This is the future. This is what people will need to get used to. I look at theaters, and Elliot nailed it, too. The fact that they're not doing anything. They're not doing anything except bitch and moan about everything going on. You know, they could have fixed this a long time ago when COVID started with the drive-ins. Because they... I would say the majority of theaters have giant parking lots. You just put a giant screen in front, you get cars, you charge 30 bucks a head, and you're good to go. But no, they decided not to do that, and they're in a situation now where they're about to lose a lot of films, or yeah, at least a read, lot of money. Yeah, I read that like, AMC's thing like went down a lot after the HBO Max I sold, I sold, I sold 20, 25 of my shares after <laughs> the news. I, I got out. I got out quick and got some of my money back. I was not playing games with that. But yeah, no. I mean, we'll see what happens. I... We'll still part. I will still be going to theaters when I can, but until this, until COVID is completely gone, if it ever completely goes away, I think the theater industry is going to completely suffer. I guess the real question is what comes out of this at the end still alive? What theater chains are going to come out of this alive? And I think AMC may not be one of them. I think we may get into a point where we have like smaller houses like Cinemark or like even a bit, maybe one of the big chains like Regal may still, but I think Alamo Draft House may be the one that survives this and strives from this. But that's just my take. Yeah, um, no, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, again, it goes back into the experience. Is it worth going out, you know, having a, a date night, having a night out with the, with your friends, you know, having the theaters that actually put in the effort to, again, whether it be seating, whether it be, you know, comfortability level in the theater, whether it be having, you know, uh, great concessions. So it's going to be those theaters that really kind of put the effort and make it into an experience rather than just like, oh, let me go to the theater to see if this movie's good or not. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's expensive. Like, I, I, um, I go to Broadway shows here in New York a lot with my wife. And I will say, like, outside of Hamilton, because Hamilton cost me like two grand, um, (laughs) you'll go to, you'll go to a show. I would say my wife and I pay like it'd be like I pay like a hundred bucks for two tickets, hundred bucks, and then maybe she'll get a drink, which is like ten dollars. So let's just say one ten. When you look at a theater experience, if you go to IMAX in New York, I don't know how it is where you're from, Elliot, but like it, if you go to an IMAX in New York City, an IMAX in New York City is twenty six dollars. Twenty five, yeah. So yeah. Tw- so Jeez. 26, 26, that's 52, plus mm-hmm. go- food is like another 30. <laughs> another, so you, right. <laughs> yeah, so you're basically paying almost a Broadway show 
which is yeah. a much better experience for the most part. And David, because, and David comes from Jersey, so he has to also pay like oh yeah, transportation so, to yeah, so I have to pay to go into New York. So yeah, it becomes like a hundred, like, bu- hundred buck trip. Yeah, yeah, essentially that's what it is. So uh, we'll we'll see what they we'll see what happens with that, but it it should be interesting. Um, so that's kind of the only news I wanted to touch on. I did before we get into David Fincher, I did want to go over because Mank was released today. I did kind of want to go over with you guys some of the. Oscar predictions that I because I do I run Oscar predictions on the page starting in July so I kind of run every category predictions for the entire run but I'm only going to touch on the top seven here like screenplays actor actress and get kind of get where you guys are at if you guys agree disagree so on and so okay. forth so I'll start with best picture and I'm going to run through my 10 so right now I still have and this is subject to change. I do still have Mank as my number one for best picture. I think we're going to get into a full discussion of it. I don't think the people that are detracted from the film are the ones that vote for the Oscars and the Academy. So I think that they're going to love this movie. And I think it has a very good shot of winning best picture. My number two is The Trial of the Chicago 7. I moved that down. Um... And I think, I don't know if I said this on here with you guys, but I definitely have said this to JC. The ele- uh, presidential elections have a lot to do with what the Academy does. And I think if Trump would have won again, I think Trial of the Chicago 7 would have been a no-brainer best picture because of the su- subject matter in the movie. But I think because Trump lost, I think it's lost a bit of steam. I don't know if you guys have seen on your your end. I don't hear a lot of people talk about it anymore. Uh, do you? Do you guys, uh, JC? I don't like on Gold Derby. It's like nine now. Yeah, it's. Uh, what about you, Elliot? I... It's kind of yeah. The the, the hype for it's kind of died down, but it's still some. Uh, I still hear people talking a little bit about the performances yeah, still, in regards to supporting cat. Yeah, and things like that. But yeah, yeah. I still think that it's still going to get in. But in terms of winning, I think its chances are starting to dwindle a little bit unless things change now with uh, critics awards. Secure thing is probably the screenplay. I still feel that's like probably the best screenplay of the year. Uh yeah, I think that's I think that's um, I would agree with you there. I think uh, Sorkin goes to the second one. Number three, I have Nomadland, but I think that's starting to to die down. The, uh, Nomadland reminds me of Marriage Story last year. I, mean, I don't even think have have you guys have you seen it? No, not yet. I'm hoping to in the next uh, couple weeks or so though. Yes, yeah, I need to get screeners early. Same same with me. I think um uh Lincoln Center in New York was offering screenings and I missed it. So I still have to catch that, but I do, I do have it at number three because of all the love that it got throughout uh, TIFF uh, and Telluride. So I have that at number three. Number four, I have One Night in Miami, which I did see. Uh, One Night in Miami is incredible, incredible stuff. I'm not a big fan of like movies that, uh, that are based on plays because sometimes they have a hard time transitioning to the big screen but this does a good job of trying to make it feel like a film and an authentic film uh the performances are incredible i i know how much jc you love malcolm x denzel's p- yeah. portrayal you're gonna love this you are going to love this and i like and i like the actor he was in trump city kings and um and he was in high fidelity so like i'm already a fan of the actor's work from what i've seen so i'm excited to see his his take on it and ellie have you gotten a chance to see it as of yet a uh, one night in miami no, that that's supposed to be coming in next week. So I'm really, really excited for it because I'm a huge uh, f- a fan of the cast, but I'm a h- even bigger fan of uh, Regina King and her directorial debut. I'll, so I'm really I'll, excited for that one. I'll tell you this. 
you're gonna watch this movie, and you're gonna be like, "Wow, like this is yeah. not her first film. Like she mm. directs the shit out of this movie. It's incredible stuff. That's awesome. Um, I can't ne- wait. Next up for me, I actually have this a lot higher than a lot of people, and I just think it's going to pick up steam because of the election results. And I have the Five Bloods. I think it's going to come up because of Del Lindo. He's going to get a nomination for best for lead actor. So I think it's going to be one of those situations where people are going to start seeing it again and they're going to remember how great it was. And I think Chadwick being, I think going to be a double nominee. I, I could, yeah. I could see him getting it. So the fact that if Delroy gets in, if Chadwick gets in, then I think that's going to start to train for the movie to get maybe screenplay, maybe um, a director nomination out of nowhere, like something like all those lines where it lands in picture. So that's why I have that. There next up, I have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I got a chance to see a few weeks ago, and um, believe the hype, fellas. Chadwick is incredible. Like I think, uh, it it's if he knew this was his last performance, that's how good he is. It he is. probably did because that from what I've been reading is like, and like you said, it's like he left it all out of the table. I feel like he kind of knew that he didn't have long, and this might be his last movie. Yeah, it it's when you guys see it. I think it's either next week or if you guys get released next week. Is yeah, up the prom. it's it's so great. Um, next up, I have Minari. Minari starting to lose some steam. I thought it was going to make it to the end, but Minari's still in my ten so far. Soul, I think it could get in because I'm hearing a lot of positive things. And Elliot, <laughs> Elliot, you saw it, so I don't know if you can touch on whether you think it has a possibility here. Uh, 100%. I definitely do. It's uh, it's really it's it's a great inspirational film, especially during this time. I think it's going to really get a lot of buzz with it coming out on Christmas as well. So, uh, the voice performances are great. The message behind the film is incredible, and the it's one of my favorite Pixar scores as well. So, it's it's going to be a big one. Awesome. And then the last two for me, I haven't stopped talking about this movie since I saw it. If the Academy uh, promising, if, yeah. If the Academy <laughs> has the balls to do this. I think I think they can with this new changing academy. So I have promising young woman, and the only reason I have it this slow is because it's just it's a movie that the academy just doesn't go for. But if it does, man, guys, when you see this movie, when you see this movie, oh my god, the discussions that are going to be had with this movie is I've I've talked about it in past episodes. They it's. They touch on the rape culture in such a different way that you're just like, okay, like I dig this. And the ending of the film is one of the most divisive endings. I suspect that when when general audiences are able to see it, they're going to have a lot to say. Like I saw it by myself. Uh, My wife saw a few scenes from it. She's like, oh, this looks pretty interesting. This looks pretty good. If I can tell you right now, when she sees the full movie, she's going to hate the ending. Like, we're going to have discussions about this, about how much she hates the ending. I love the ending, and when you guys see it, I think you guys will have maybe the same opinion, maybe different, but I think it definitely will lead to some incredible conversations. And then number 10, I still have it in my 10 because it's getting some decent buzz. I do have a prom. I think if Judas comes out in February, like I suspect it will, I think Judas is going to be a best picture player. So, yeah, that's, that's my 10. And then my five for director, I think you guys may agree here. I have Fincher, Zal, Regina King, Aaron Sorkin, and I do have Spike Lee sneaking it right now. Uh, do you guys have anyone in mind that I may have forgotten? 
So I mean, I mean, I mean if Denzel couldn't yeah, get for fences, I don't know how the the Ma Rainey director could do. I mean, Ma Rainey's mm-hmm. been getting better reviews than 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 um. I can tell you, it's better. Fences it's is. better than Fences. I can I, I can agree. I can. No, face, yeah, I've been seeing yeah. the reviews. Like it all depends. Like I can see him get in depending how much like Academy loves loves um Ma Rainey's. Like if mm-hmm. they go on it with Viola, the screenplay, because I mean the screenplay would might get in because you saw and you said that Chadwick is like legit the lead because in the play that like I told you the guy that played um Chadwick's character he got nominated for the supporting actor in the Tony so like they probably switch maybe the switches he did to give that character like a bigger part might might work in the Academy's favor like to show that screenplay some love yeah I don't think um and when you guys see it there is nothing that in that movie that will say that he is not a lead like Chadwick is absolutely the lead. All right, so moving on to lead actor, this is going to be another sweep. I don't think I think Chadwick sweeps the season. I think this is going to be Chadwick. You know, he will become the third actor to win the posthumous Academy Award. I have Chadwick at my number one, Anthony Hopkins for the father at my number two, Delroy Lindo, number three, Gary Oldman at four, and then after I saw this movie, and Elliot will co-sign on this one, Riz Ahmed. For sound the metal, like it is. Oh yeah, but try to watch that later on tonight. It's it's a the movie is not, and I don't know if Elliot feels the same way when he first saw it. Like it's not mm-hmm. what I expected. I thought the movie yeah goes in a completely different direction where I expected, and Riz is incredible in it. It would be oh, great yeah. to see him get nominated here. I mean, it was I guess I mean the way you guys have been talking about, it, I guess it was smart for the studio because that premiered in last year's film festival. So I guess they were smart to hold it off one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the movie, I don't think the movie is going to do much. I think this may be just I mean, a, it has a 97 right now. I was surprised. I think it's going to be a sound player and then Riz. But yeah, that's my five. I can't really think of anyone else at the moment. Like Tom Hanks is the only one. But I'm hearing that the movie's not as good as people expected. So it may fall. I mean, when it comes to this, it just depends where they put Daniel because People still don't know if he's, he's going to go supporting or lead. Kaluuya is going. So Kalu, Kaluuya is going supporting. I can confirm. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's going supporting. Oh, so I guess it's a, Lake- a lot of people are saying Lakeith is is lead. Oh, okay. uh, Lead actress here. I got Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman. Viola Davis, number two. Carrie Mulligan, number three for Promising a Woman. Frances McDormand, four. And because you can't rule her out until she's not in, I still have Meryl Streep at, at five. I mean, she has two movies now. As a I would yeah. yeah. I will never make that mistake again. I used to make that mistake with Meryl, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> I nah. remember when yeah, Ricky, Ricky had the Flash. I was like, I saw the movie. I'm like, it's not that good. I hope she doesn't get in. Thankfully, she did it because that's my favorite actress. But there's some nominations that I'm just like, it really didn't deserve it. Like, like for Into the Woods, I was like, come on, she is not better than Jessica Chastain in A Most Violent Year or in Interstellar. Like, Jessica Chastain deserved a nomination for either of those movies over Into the Woods. And I mean, in finishing up on Mero, I think we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But uh, she won her last Oscar, and she's she kind of screwed over <laughs> someone that should have won that Oscar. So... And then, yes, finishing off supporting actor, I have Sacha Baron Cohen winning right now with Leslie Odom Jr., number two, Bill Murray, number three, Daniel Kaluuya, number four, and then Chadwick, number five. So I have him as a double nominee. And then supporting actors, I have Amanda Seyfried winning for Mank, then Olivia Coleman, the father. I think this is a fun nomination. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have Maria Bakalova for Borat. Uh I have Ellen Bernstein for Pieces of a Woman and Helena Zengel for News of the World. I think she does get in. 
And then screenplay. Yeah, a lot of people. Go ahead, JC. No, a lot of people. A lot of people have been saying that performance is like um with with Haley and True Grit. Yes. Where it's like it's like a lead, but it's they go supported because she's so important and good that she might get the nomination. Yeah, and then screenplay. I have uh, I have Mank still winning screenplay. Then Charlie Chicago Seven Soul on the Rocks and Promising Young Woman and adapted. I have Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I have Borat and The Father because Borat did get the original did get a Academy Award here. So yeah, so that wraps it up. I mean, the news the the season just started, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, but it seems like it's going to be one of those seasons that it's going to be all over the place and i don't think we're gonna have a clear best picture front runner until maybe close to the day of the show but yeah let's get into it fellas oh yeah jc you're gonna say something no no just and there's with this season being so different because it's like all the way in april like i just i yeah. hope like some movies that like that's the only thing that's like the five plus is still in my top five for the year but it worries me that the fact that it came out in june so by the time we get the oscar it's gonna be 10 months since it came out and then one note that i wanted to see if you guys would agree i think i have five Netflix movies in Best Picture. There has never been a studio that has gotten five Best Picture nominees. Do you think Netflix will do it? Or do you think they may draw the line at four? JC, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, for sure, with Mac and Trowell, I think those are locks. Those are locks, yeah. And I feel like they could get either three or four with Ma Rainey or The Five Bloods. I feel one of them, I feel they'll definitely get three. The four is, like I said, I'm still a little worried a bit with The Five Bloods because it came out so long ago and so many other movies have came out. I just hope it doesn't lose steam. I do feel it's very deserving of a, of a Best Picture nomination. But I just, like I said, it just the fact that it by the time we get the Oscars, it's going to be 10 months since it's released. I just hope that it doesn't get forgotten. Maybe with Chadwick passing away, like, you know, his last two performances being coincidentally with on Netflix movies, I just hope, like, it still has some steam. But for sure, they're getting three. It just dep- if they get three, it just depends which was the third, Marvel Rainey or the Five Blood. But they're definitely getting at least three nominations, I think. Yeah. Well, what about you, Ellie? What do you think there? Are we uh, so would the fifth slot be potentially pieces um, pieces of a woman? Is so that for what we're thinking the- so for me, I have um, Trial Mank, uh-huh. the Five Bloods, Marvel Rainey's, and the Prom, right? And the Prom, yeah. So I could be the problem get nominated. I have it at I have it at ten because I think it's gonna be such a big Globes player. And you know how sometimes like Globes kind of start a trend of stuff. Like Bohemian Rhapsody started at the Globes. Like that whole yeah, fucking the, run. Mr. Right? somehow got Best Picture nomination. It, it yeah, what? I saw uh, I saw the prom last night, and um, it's a very uh, interesting interesting <laughs> thing to say. Yeah. I will I mean, the, without spoiling James Corden. Um, he surprisingly, <laughs> he was, uh, he was entertaining. He was, uh, um, I, I don't know if I really uh, agree with kind of the story plot the of, uh, where he can't, yeah, that stuff and with his mom and dad. But, uh, you know, I thought Meryl was great. Um, I don't want to get too much into it, but the Emma character kind of had a lot of highs and lows and kind of took me out of the film. I didn't think that actress okay. was, uh, uh, emotionally right? in position. Yeah. To, to, to carry some of those scenes, but it was entertaining. And I will say, I didn't mention it, but do not sleep. And I didn't like the movie. JC didn't really like the movie. I know, Elliot, you're a little bigger on it than we are. But don't sleep on Hell- Hillbilly Elegy because I've I've yeah. been I've yeah. been told that people like that movie. <laughs> like people that need to like that movie like that movie. So there is a 
There's I don't think no. She's the one that I sleep on because I I can't really sleep on because I I just don't think they'll nominate her if she's not gonna win. And I don't think that's I don't know, man. I just don't think I mean, that's she a, got it for Albert Nobbs. But at at this point, after what they did two years ago, where she didn't win, I don't think she gets in. It's kind of like the whole uh, Michelle Pfeiffer thing. I, Michelle Pfeiffer was kind of a talk with French Exit, but I don't I think she was weird. Yeah, I don't think she gets in unless she's gonna win. It's like the William Defoe too. Like well, next time William Defoe gets in, I think he's gonna win. I I just it's a whole overly overly do person when someone else is gonna win. I don't think they're gonna do that, mm. but. Don't be. I mean, it would not shock me. It it could be this year's uh, incredibly close. I don't know. <laughs> so I I know you're bigger on it than we are, but it just feel uh, yeah. It's gonna be one of those movies that may just come out of nowhere and just start doing well at uh, during award season. But yeah, that pretty much wraps it up with the news and some Oscar talk here. So let's get just dive into it, fellas. David Fincher. I think David Fincher is one of the best directors of this generation, and for me, it's been. Since uh, seven was the first movie of his that I saw, so I'll kick it off with Elliot. What do you? What was the first memory of David Fincher's work for you? Uh, for me, it was uh, Fight Club. Uh, that was my first David Fincher entry into his world, into his mind, his kind of um, allegories of speaking to different, um, you know, parts of uh, of the human uh, uh, mind in regards to just human life whether it be something like uh, fight club talking about the big man and the and the and the guy behind the scenes and just kind of taking down the corporations whether it be you know a facebook film so i just love the way he kind of does uh, a lot of character driven pieces and fight club was my entry point and uh you know one of my favorites of him for sure which we'll get to our list a little bit later but fight club was my entry to mr fincher jc what about you same with me with Fight Club, because remember, that movie, it bombed in the box office, but you know, once it came on DVD, it was like a humongous bust about it, you know, because everybody was talking about the twist. So, like, I remember I when Fight Club came out, I was seven. Like, the first time I saw, I saw it was like two dollars, was a one. And it was just, you know, like, I as a little kid, you know, like, I wasn't, gonna, I mean, I don't know if you guys, when you first saw Fight Club, you could pick up that he, that he has split personality, but as a 10-year-old, like, like I said, eight nine year old kid i was just blown away by it and i just like loved the whole world because i got older and i started getting more into film i saw seven and all that stuff but i've i've been a fan of fincher since fight club but i is his work is very bleak <laughs> yeah i was actually gonna gonna say that i have i have some notes on his career as a whole but i think david fincher like is i think he's an acquired taste despite how good he is because i don't think he has very that likable leads for the most part. I think that we, we look at something like the social network and Mark Zuckerberg is, and people talk about, Not a lead. yeah. And people talked about in 2010, like that he took it too hard on him. Now we look at Mark Zuckerberg and I think David <laughs> Fincher took it too easy on him, but he's not likable at all. And then we look at just Mank. Now it's a very, you know, Mank has his, and we'll get into it. Mank has his character flaws, but, as a lead, I don't think he's that likable as a as a person. So, like, I think that's and his stories are super bleak. Look at Zodiac. So, but I think the most likable character was Benjamin Button because you felt for the guy that he was aging backwards. Yeah, and then um for for those that are unaware, David Fincher first gained recognition for directing numerous music videos. He directed Madonna's "Express Yourself" and "Vogue," which he and actually freedom from George Michael. Did he do that too? Yeah, uh, I love that music video. So. Nice, uh, Fincher. 
did not attend film school, but he cites Alfred Hitchcock as his major influence, as well as Scorsese, George Roy Hill. Uh, his personal favorite films include All the President's Men, Taxi Driver, Rear Window, Paper Moon, Lawrence of Arabia, American Graffiti, The Graduate, Jaws, Close Encounters, all classics. Um, he actually suggested when we talk, we're, we're going to talk about this movie in a little bit, but he suggested that Panic Room is a combination of Rear Window meets Straw Dogs. I love Straw Dogs. Uh, I don't know if you've been able to. Have you ever seen that, JC? Straw Dogs? Yes. You don't like something. Straw Dogs? Oh, I no, like no, Straw Dogs. No, 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 no. No, no, I'm saying like, you know how the remember yeah. the rape scene, how yeah. she looked like she's semi enjoying it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen Straw Dogs, Elliot? No, it was on my list. I was when I was in school. There was like a list of like films that kind of are very controversial. One being Orange, uh, Clockwork Orange, and that was one of them. But I didn't get a chance to see it. Yeah, no, it's it's like JC said it. Sure. It it takes interesting choices, but like the end of them film is is solid stuff. Uh. His filmmaking process, I know you guys are aware of this, is extremely extensive, and he has a lot of takes. So I think you guys are familiar with the whole Rooney Mara story, JC. No. So for uh, Rooney Mara is in the first scene of the social network, which is, I think, an incredible opening scene. That scene took 99 takes. <laughs> they didn't, um, Amanda said that he, there was like, I think... Oh no! Like the 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 dinner scene in in Mank, uh, Gary Oldman was like, "I've done this a hundred times already," and then and then and then um, David Fincher responded, "Well, yeah, this is a hundred one." Yes, he is. He is one of those very. He he's a perfectionist, so he mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of Kubrick because Kubrick was a multiple take kind of director. So the fact that he takes his time and does take after take after take just to make sure it's perfect, and the fact that he a scene as little. As that opening scene of the social network, because I would say what that's like a five minute scene at at best. Yeah, yeah, five, 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 to, three, to, five minutes. Yeah, to have ninety nine takes and that just that one scene just shows like how a t- how much he pays attention to detail. Um, yeah, I, I have a few fun facts before we get into like talking about his films and stuff. So he, these are more are directing what ifs. So he was actually originally. I hate this movie. I think JC likes this movie. He was actually originally set to direct the Black Dahlia, but he dropped out. I right. don't like that one. I think that's one of the Palmer's worst movies. Oh, that I movie has so much potential. That. No, I mean I love the Palmer, but I could say what he does crap. Oh, what about you, Ellie? Are you a fan of the Black Dahlia? No, I haven't seen it. It's on my list, but I have not seen it. So it's not it's not sounding good. I don't nah, know. It's, nah, a, it's a missed opportunity. It's a, yeah, it's such it's, a great subject matter, but yeah. It's a very interesting subject matter, but it just completely fails. Uh he was also set to direct Mission Impossible three, but dropped out. Oh, I did not know that. And I know he about World War C two. Uh, yeah, which would have been interesting. Another another couple here. He was originally considered to direct Spider Man in two thousand. <laughs> yeah, that 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 I know about. Wow, that, that would have been this interesting. This is all news to me. Yeah. Next up here, he was originally considered to direct Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Ooh, I mean, it worked for the best. I feel like that was that was good. That was a good start for Clooney. Uh, next up here, he was actually he turned down the offer to direct Catch Me If You Can to do Panic Room. Interesting. So that would have been an interesting look. Like, yeah, it's much more he, bleaker than what I mean, Spielberg did. The 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 yeah. would have made Leo to do. This one, this yeah. one, this next one kind of would have changed the entire comic book industry. He would turn down. He was the first person to be offered Batman Begins, and he turned it oh, down. Oh yeah, 
Like I that would have been yeah yeah I I mean we kind of are getting a Fincher esque movie now with the Batman, but it would have mm-hmm. just been such an interesting yeah it would have been perfect because it's like that those dark themes that Batman Begins had would have been f- perfect for his style. And this last one, he he turned down eight millimeter to direct Fight Club. I've never seen eight millimeter, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's um Kevin Walker, whatever the guy's name for the that wrote seven. Oh, he Kevin Andrew that, Walker. So. Mm. Yeah, so I, I mean, there would have been a reunion. Like I've seen a, a millimeter. Like it's a decent film. It's very, it's very to his style. It's, it's a very, it has to deal with like um, Nicholas Cage's character figuring out whether a film is really a snuff film or not. So like that would have, that's all in his ballpark. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned before, JC, that Fight Club was a failure. Actually, box office wise, he only has one movie that did not gross a hundred million dollars. So I'll run through all of them. Alien 3 grossed $175 million. 7 grossed $327 million. The game, which I thought would have been it, grossed $109.4 million. Fight Club actually did gross $101.2 million. Panic Room did a I actually surprised it grossed this much. Panic Room grossed $197.1 million. That was a very popular movie when was, it came out. Was it? Yeah, man, I I remember just being one of the only people in my circle that saw it and enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> this one is it's low. Zodiac only gross eighty four. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so, that just bombed badly. Curious case of Benjamin Button grossed three hundred and thirty five point eight million dollars, and that's bananas. <laughs> and that film, if I'm not mistaken, has like a pretty significant budget, especially with the technology. I think it's like yeah. over one hundred one fifty, right? right? Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. Uh, the social network grows two twenty four, so that because it was such a huge player at the time. I mean, my, my my show my show was sold out. This one surprised me too. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo grows two hundred and thirty two point six million dollars. Oh wow! Yeah, and then finally Gone Girl. I my, saw this. That was big. Yeah, this was huge. I saw it in an empty theater, so I was shocked when oh, when I saw fuck? this. Yeah, I think I was. I don't know, maybe like. 25 people, 26 people in there. Oh, no, I saw it twice. My, both my shows were, were packed. Yeah, $370.3 million. So, mm. uh, and and obviously, man. Mag, Mag would have. I think it made. Like a, maybe 40, 50 million if, he, if it would have come out theaters. I think it would have made 100 million. You think? Yeah, yeah. With with the with the current uh, COVID stuff? No, 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 no COVID. COVID. Like a, re- a regular COVID, year, yeah. a regular year. I think it could have made $100 million. Yeah. Um, and then. All of his movies, for the most part, are certified fresh on RT, except Alien 3. That's his yeah. lowest rating at 43 No surprise there. So we can actually kick it off with that and go through his filmography. Everyone that's listening that's a David Fincher fan knows the story. Alien 3 is not his fault, but it is what we got. What are your thoughts on Alien 3? I'll start with Elliot on here. It's interesting. So this, to me, David Fincher in the Alien situation reminds me a lot of, I know you guys talk about... Uh, 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 Lynch's films, how he was kind of thrown into the mix of uh, Dune and kind of how he's such an auteur director and how he kind of never really went back to blockbusters. I kind of look at David Fincher in that same light where obviously you just listed off a bunch of stuff, Spider-Man, Batman, all that stuff, but he really never wants to go back to a blockbuster a la. That's why I was so surprised when his name was brought up in World War Z. Obviously his collaboration with Brad Pitt was a big play in that, but it obviously didn't work out. But yeah, you know, he's a gun for hire in that position. So many different writers, so many different directors attached to it. I personally, once we'll get to our top 10 list, 
you know, it does as an alien fan, especially aliens, the, the handling of the characters again isn't his fault, but it it, it just still kind of stings me the way they kind of handle some of my favorite characters from aliens. But yeah, it's it's just one of those situations where personally it's not my least favorite alien film. I think that that goes to resurrection. Um, but you know, there's definitely some David Fincher isms in the film, and actually the the, the whole director's cut is is much better than the you know theatrical cut that we got of Aliens 3 but it definitely was a a good experience for him to be you know first out of the gate and like I said ever since that Aliens 3 project you've really never seen him attached to another kind of quote-unquote blockbuster uh, after probably uh, and probably shines a light on why he kind of has his opinion on on blockbusters in the movie industry in general just because of that experience so yeah Yeah, no I I agree with you I think uh I think I've, I've spoken to JC off the air. I think you kind of nailed it, Elliot. It's character choices. I love Aliens. It's my favorite of the of the entire series. And I love the franchise. The moment that movie kicks off and Newt is gone, I'm out. I'm out. I'm like completely disengaged from like these choices that were that, that choice that was made. Newt is Newt is kind of like the Thorline of the entire Aliens movie. And the fact that you just kill her off. No reason off screen. Off screen. Yep. It just took yep. took it out. It just took me out of it. And the movie as a whole, it is what it is. Like you, you know, I. It's not the worst for me. Like you said, I have resurrection and the two alien versus predators as the worst. And I could actually maybe I, I when when thinking about it, if you force me to answer this, I may even say Alien Covenant is worse than Alien Three. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like it just didn't do it for me. I I. There's not much of that film that I like. There is good visuals, especially, and you said there's some Fincherisms in there, but the visual of uh, the alien and Sigourney, that's still like a memorable visual. But outside of that, Alien 3 really doesn't do anything for me. JC, what about you? I mean, you guys said it all. It's like, it's definitely not the worst in the franchise, but it's not. And like you said, like Elliot said, like it had a lot of directors before him that were attached, a lot of writers, a lot of creative choices that, like him. Killing off new, I'm pretty sure if he had a part of the screenplay and had leverage, you know, that was his debut, so he can't really, he was going to say, oh, I don't want, you know, he couldn't make that type of switch, like, oh, now you got to bring her back. So there was a lot of problems with that movie that weren't really his fault. He did the best he could. Like, I rewatched the movie for the first time in, in a long time this past week. Like, like I said, it's definitely not the worst. That's Resurrection. Or I mean, I've never seen the Alien vs. Predator movies that never interested me. So I can't really speak on them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they were terrible just because... Yeah, they're so, pretty bad. The Resident Evil director, like, I don't, I'm not a fan of his work. and But, yeah, like, there's, there was a lot of promises there. And just the fact that we saw that the next time from his career, they go from pretty good to great. We know, like, there was some promises there. So it's like you guys pretty much said everything is, like, it's not the worst in the franchise. And there was promise there. Like, when it comes to me... I when I rewatch the alien movies, it's just really Alien, Aliens, and Prometheus. I don't really care about to watch the other ones. Yeah, I you mean you know me, I'm a completer. So if I start right, so if I watch Alien, I, I I'm stuck watching all the garbage with with that comes <laughs> with here. it. Same here. Uh, next up for me, I think it's when everything takes off for him. It's 1995-7. It is uh 81 percent on art RT. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I think we've all talked about Seven in, in, in the past and just like how incredible it is. I think this is when you kind of start seeing everything that David Fincher is about. There is certain aspects of the film that work so well for me that have stuck out. And it's just like the discovery of every one of the seven sins and culminating at the end with, with Gwyneth said 
and I think the best choice he made, and I don't, I will see if you guys agree, is the fact that you don't see her head at all. I mean, you end I up mean, see I you mean, see you her see in, it. in Contagion, in Contagion. <laughs> yeah, in Contagion. But like the fact that he would he was able to constrain himself from showing that head, I think it just adds more to the scene and just adds more to the review at the end of the movie. And Kevin Spacey, he like he's persona non grata now, but he's incredible in that film. As little as he is in that movie, he's incredible. So yeah, Seven is what kind of set everything off for me with David Fincher, and he just remains one of the best. Worker, uh, working directors today. Uh, Elliot, what do you think on Seven? Yeah, man, Seven is definitely, uh, I, I remember seeing that for the first time, just being in awe and really kind of appreciating him as a director. And it really kind of just speaks to, as you mentioned earlier, in regards to just how influential that film is, knowing that, you know, the next Batman film is heavily influenced by a film that came out, you know, back in the early 90s. So it just kind of speaks to the testament of time to the film. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman's characters are incredible, especially I love Morgan Freeman's kind of through line in regards to him, you know, his last case and trying to help Brad Pitt, trying to, you know, right his wrongs and not go down the same path that he does. So it really kind of speaks again to what, what I love about David Fincher is him being such a character driven, character focused director and really kind of sets the tone for a lot of his films moving forward regarding how he how deep he dives to the characters. And it's heavily influenced to, you know, I haven't watched Mindhunter, but I hear that it's really kind of influential to his direction of and kind of the tone of Mindhunter. So I think when he dives into those psychological thrillers, uh, he just does. He, he thrives in that genre. So I just think it's one of his best films for sure. JC. Oh, I love Seven. It's like like. Like at least you haven't watched, but like my hunter is definitely influenced a lot in that style. Like even just he remember he's tackled serial killers a lot. He did it with Zodiac, with my hunter, with this. And like is this is like where David Fincher, like the the filmmaker, like for film was really born. Like it really let him lose, and it showed just how much of his opportunity Alien Three was that he was able to like what he delivered with Sevens is amazing. Like twenty five years later, he we're getting influenced by the Batman. When the Dune trailer came out and the Timothy Chalamet scene where he's like, where he put his hand in the box, like, that was a whole thing. Everybody just kept saying, like, wasn't the box because of that movie. So it tells a lot how how influential and how popular the movie is that 25 years later, people still quote it. People still find inspiration about it. And, like, the chemistry between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt is just amazing. And, like, it's really crazy. I don't know if you, you guys know it, but, like, Denzel actually turned down the, the Brad Pitt role. Which would have been interesting because I feel Brad, if he had said yes, we would have Guy Morgan Freeman in the role. Because I don't think in 1975 they would have allowed two black leads to lead a movie like that. So I feel like Denzel turning it down worked out for the best because it was a big break for Brad Pitt. And it started a beautiful partnership. And then it gave Morgan Freeman one of his most, well, I mean, I feel it was probably one of his three best performances. And just like the, like you said, the implied, like we, we don't have to see the head to know what. To, to, you know, we know what it was that her head is inside there, but I feel like leaving it up to us, like just to imagine everything like that, it worked worked better than showing the head. I feel like showing the head would have been a little distasteful, even though with a movie like that, so much have happened that it would have been in the realm. But like, I love the ending, like Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, like when he was like figuring out what it is, like like before he shot John Doe, like his, the crying and everything. That's some of the best acting that Brad Pitt has ever done, and then. Kevin Spacey just in the little in the ten minutes that he was on screen, he was just he made such an impact and is one of the best um, screen villains of all time. Just in those little ten minutes, yeah. Now one of those films that the villain actually wins in the end. Yeah, 
Uh, next up for him is, I hope Elliot agrees with us. I think it's his most underrated film that no one ever talks about. Uh, it's the game. Oh, for sure. So the game, 73% on RT, and I think that's too low. I think the game is so, so underrated. Michael Douglas's performance is fantastic in it. I think Sean Penn is great in it. Everything about the movie outside of when he gets just <laughs> randomly placed in Mexico and randomly is able to show back up um, works for me. I The twist is one of my favorite twists that I've seen in a Fincher movie and of that era because I actually thought that, yeah, if he killed his brother and, you know, he jumps off the building to have the same fate as his father. I'm like, okay, the Fincher really is morbid. He just doesn't like anyone living at the end of his movies. But, um, I think it's just such a solid film and a solid underrated David Fincher film. Uh, JC, what do you think? I'll kick off with you here. It's definitely his most underrated movie because Panagoon people talk about it. It was, it was, you know, it was still popular. The game, uh, for sure. That was actually the second movie of his I ever saw after Fight Club. I remember my brother-in-law let me the DVD because I, I like I like Michael Douglas. I like Basic is the Fatal Attraction. But that movie's super engaging. Like I remember, like the first time you watched the game, you cannot look away. Like you know, such so many twists and turns. Like just the plot is like very engaging, very interesting. The Mexico stuff is definitely the worst part of the movie. It slows down the pacing of it. But the twist of it is so great because I remember what well, the first time I saw it, I, and he threw himself up. The, remember, this was before I had seen seven and eight and three, so I didn't really know how dark he gets, like per se, like with killing off characters and stuff. So I remember the first time he threw himself, I was like, you know, like and you weren't expecting him to throw himself off, but then when he landed on the X, I'm like, you know, I was confused as a, as a little kid because I saw him like at ten or eleven years old. And I remember I was I was like I said I was amazed at everything about the movie because it was like very engaging the twists and turns, but the ending kind of like at first the first time I saw it I was like, what if he would not? I mean I granted I know the 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 actor character told him oh if you didn't jump I had to push you, but I'm like what if he just a little miscalculation is all it would have took it for him to not land on the X suspension of disbelief my friend. <laughs> That's all, that's all I got there. Uh, what about you, Elliot? Thoughts on the game? Yeah, and so this one, there's a, a couple David Fincher films that I unfortunately have only seen once, and I wasn't able to catch this one before uh, our, our, our rankings here. But what I do remember from the film is really enjoying, like you all have mentioned, Michael Douglas' performance. Uh, and it, it was really interesting to kind of see David Fincher, not saying that he was a, a big twist guy, but the first, like, you know, after Alien 3, it was kind of like implied, like, okay, what's the next twist going to be? And it's kind of interesting to see him kind of get away from that kind of stigma, unlike, a, you know, M. Night Shyamalan. But <laughs> I really enjoyed the uh, the journey that we get with Michael uh, Douglas' character. And it is something I've been wanting to revisit for a while. But I remember, uh, like I said, seeing it once, really enjoying it. And you'll see it once it gets to our, to our rankings here. But I do remember enjoying the the journey that our character goes through. And it's just like one of the wildest things you'll ever see. Oh, in yeah. Regards to what Michael Douglas goes through in that film. But I definitely have to revisit it sooner much uh much more than later for sure like and honestly a lot of it doesn't make any sense but fuck it because like the when the tv starts talking back to him i'm like okay sure why not <laughs> the news guy I'm, I'm good i'm good let's keep going how that company owns the entire building yeah sure why not and they take over different hey, floors. little kid i ate it all up and oh my god jc you're gonna you're gonna knock me on this so what's the character actor's name the guy that plays the the, the that they that, 
that he ends up the being, actor guy. Yeah, that, that he, I just yeah, love I that. I just love and forgive he me for not passed away a few years ago. Yeah, and forgive me for not remembering his name, but I just love that a character, character actor that's... is playing a character actor in a movie. I think it's it's awesome. But yeah, uh, that brings us to uh, hot take for me. I think his most overrated movie. <laughs> I definitely his most popular. Yeah, most popular movie, but I feel his most overrated movie, and that's Fight Club. I've rewatched it to get ready for this because this is one that I've I've always had spoiler alert, and we'll get into it on our rankings a lot lower than ninety nine percent of people. Um, and I understand a little bit more why now. It's too fucking long. <laughs> it's just way too fucking long, and I and I remember a few things from the movie in terms of like. And Nora's performance and Brad Pitt is pretty great. The, the twist, obviously, the reveal. And then I do like the symbolism at the end. But there's so much filler that goes on throughout the movie that just disengages me. So I've always felt that Fight Club is solid. It's not a bad movie whatsoever. Um, but I've always been one of those that feels that it's not it's not the god it's not Fincher's gift to cinema, like a lot of people think. But yeah, that's uh my take on Fight Club. JC. Um, I'm the same way as you. I don't have it as high as other people, but I feel I might like it a little bit more than you. Like like you, I have the same issue. I do not think that movie needs to be 139 minutes long. There's a lot of fillers, but there's a lot of great stuff. Like the, the Edward Norris performance is amazing. That's Tyler Durden is one of the best characters ever. Cause it's just like it's like it's such a late nineties movie, like late nineties, early two thousands, like from the soundtrack Absolutely. and everything. Hmm? I said absolutely. It definitely yeah, is like a it's time. a it's a product of its time, but unlike most product of its time movies, it still managed to be very popular to this day, and it still holds up good. Because like we said, though, the only David Fincher movie that's kind of somewhat bad is Eight and Three, so it's still a very good movie. Like the performances are great. Helena Bonham, I don't Bonham Carter, I don't know how to say Bonham her. Carter, her yeah. I don't know how to the middle name, but like a lot of people don't talk about, it, but that's she's really really good in that movie. Like she has great chemistry with both of them and it's like like for most people that only tend to see her in like period pieces and and um and tim burton movies this is like one of his her best performers outside of the work of those two the twist is still great it's still amazing the fact that so many movies nowadays tend to tend to do the whole split personality stuff i mean even though even before this movie it wasn't it wasn't a lot of movies but like i still feel it's, it's one of the best twists involving like split personalities and 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 all that stuff, and that's really all I got with it. Is like a very popular movie. It's not his best movie, like a lot of people said, and I don't think none of us are gonna have it as number one. But you know, still his most popular movie, still really good, but a tad overrated. Elliot, thoughts on Fight Club? Yeah, I I think it's appropriately uh, rated in regards to just the hype from it. It is, you know, it does fall to me in the category of like a cult classic. As we mentioned, it wasn't as successful as, uh, you know, a lot of people might think it is. But it was, to me, what stands out for me with Fight Club is, again, being that it's my first entry to David Fincher, it opened my eyes to a couple of things. Number one, the incredible acting by, you know, Edward Norton and following his career uh, ever since seeing that film. And also just kind of really changing my mind on the quote-unquote heartthrob actor in Brad Pitt, seeing that, you know, that film to me always kind of solidifies Brad Pitt as, like, such a great, incredible actor, and also the collaboration with him and uh, David Fincher, and I just I just really enjoy that film. It is it is a bit long in the tooth, and there's another film on uh, in his filmography I think is a little bit too long, and it kind of just over-welcomes its stay, but Fight Club, the, the novelty of the twist doesn't really 
you know, I always still enjoy watching that film, especially showing someone the film the first time and seeing, you know, if they can figure out the twist and get all the little hints throughout the film. But it's, it's definitely in, in my top tier of Fincher. Not his best work, uh, but definitely one of the, uh, like I said, it holds a special spot in my heart because it's my first time, you know, seeing a David Fincher film and always yes, kind of sticking with me with that film. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Next up is one that I will admit I didn't get a chance to completely rewatch for this is Panic Room. Um, I remember just buying this was a a blind dvd buy because it's david fincher i didn't get a chance to see his in theaters and i did enjoy it for what it for what it was uh so i don't really have that much to add regarding panic room um i did enjoy it. it's just uh didn't get a chance to rewatch it for this go around elliot i'll start with you here thoughts on panic room same with you, man. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. I remember the one thing I do remember is just the, the shot selections and the use of the camera in the house and the claustrophobic vibe to it and just kind of filling in one location. Uh, but one of the things that always sticks with me with that film is Jared Leto and the braids. I don't know why I always remember <laughs> with his braids. Uh, and I, I hope that we get more collaborations with I hope we get a reunion of Jared Leto and Brad Pitt and David Fincher in the future because they, they've worked with each other quite a few times. But yeah, it's, it's always something I remember regarding to, I don't know why, but I always always wanted a panic room after seeing that film especially in COVID. <laughs> i would love to have a panic room right now but yeah like i said the, i don't know what it is but it's just, i just always remember uh the braids by jared leto and him getting shot in the face but yeah, yeah. jared little <laughs> oh yeah that, that came out of nowhere Dwight yeah. yep and yep, then but... and then, Scor- then scorsese stole it and departed mm-hmm. uh jc yeah. thoughts on zodi on um, panic room because i know you saw it recently um, yeah it's it's not as good as i remember like it's still good but I remember liking it more when I first saw it back in the in the mid two thousands. Like I feel like this is basically a B level movie directed by by David Fincher. Like if it hadn't been directed by him and it didn't have the cast it does, it would have been a movie that nobody really talks about anymore. I mean, it's not a movie that people talk about more that much. It's like after the game, it's probably his most underrated movie. But it's still really is a solid contained thriller, and seeing it. Seeing it now that we know that Kristen Stewart became as big as she is now, because a lot of people, you know, when they talk about her, they just tend to think Twilight is like the first thing, real big thing she did. But not really, but she's really good in that. The cornrows still look so bad and just so out of place for him. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Justin Timberlake. I think he had the, the blonde cornrows at one point. Yeah, he did. That's, yeah. That, yep. that's like Remember what that. I think about is like, it's like, <laughs> like, no, it's like Jared Little cornrows didn't work. And I remember, like, when we watched it, and I'm like, Dwight Yoakam's character is, is really despicable. Like, like I wish he would have been the one that got shot in the face instead of Jared Leto's character. Oh, but that sledgehammer to the head. Oh, oh, <laughs> the, that moment. But, yeah, like, it's a, it's a solid contained thriller. It's like, it's like, it's a little out of David Fincher's realm, but I feel after the negative reception, well, like I said, it's, Fight Club is as popular, and it actually made more money than I thought it did. I thought it bombed at the box office, but... You know, it was a movie that had is like issues with reception, and it's like a cult classic, like Ellie said. So, like after all that, he was dealing with the Fight Club reception. Like I feel like this is what he needed, like a smaller contained thriller that just really let him play with some gimmicks. Yep, I agree. And full disclosure, fellas, I also had the same idea that thought was I was cool in that era, and I also had cornrows at that time too. 
Oh, I need a picture. Yeah, I got, picture, I got you. I, I got you. I didn't even, I didn't even think you had long hair before. <laughs> oh man, uh, around that time, I not even probably like two years later because I started high school like a year after. I decided like it's all hip to grow my hair out and have braids, and my hair was down to like my shoulder. Oh my god, I, I, uh, oh, my. Yeah. My my inspiration my inspiration at that time was to have my hair look like Allen Iverson's. I was just gonna ask you that, dude. I was gonna say Allen Iverson, Frail Street Rail. That was like the the cornrow oh era, man. God. I was literally yeah, gonna like ask you. Those 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 are the cornrow gods. Like they have the the, the 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 sleeve when you playing ball. Oh, oh yeah. no, no! I, yeah. I had that. I had that. I had the sleeve. I had oh, the headband. Oh did. my god! I, I, I after we finish, I'm gonna have to find these. Oh no, I, I didn't. <laughs> I played ball. I didn't have a crossover as good as Iverson. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got you on that picture. It's quite embarrassing, but I got you guys. Um, nope. Next up, we have what I think is top, top, toppy, 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 top tier. David Fincher, and that is yeah. Zodiac. I did get a chance to rewatch this and it is absolute perfection. Like this movie is what a thriller is made to be without you finding out who the killer is. It's what David Lynch would have wanted Twin Peaks to be, essentially, where we don't know who the killer is. Um Zodiac is so good, so good. And the scene in the is it the the workers room? Like the break room? JC, when in the at the end of the movie, the no, the scene, the interrogation scene in the in it's in the it's in the break room, right? I believe so. Yeah, that scene is top tier tension. It is so fucking good, and the fact that you leave that scene kind of saying, "Yeah, he is the Zodiac killer," but, re, but not you don't find out for sure, and no one ever does find out who's John Carroll Lynch. Is yeah, amazing he is that. amazing in that scene. Um, I don't think. We talk about underrated films. I do see more people talk about Zodiac that really know who Fincher Fincher's work. But there are a lot yeah. of people that don't know this movie and I think need to know this movie. It's it's pretty much RDJ before he explodes with Iron Man. People like this yeah, the is year the, before. the year before. Mark Ruffalo's incredible in this. I think there's this is the one that should have gotten him his first Oscar, in my personal opinion. But um yeah, we we uh did not get that. And then, JC, Zodiac, thoughts? How great is it? Oh, very, very high on my list. You'll see, you guys will see later. I'm a big true crime. Like, this movie, if this movie had came out now, like, let's say last year, you know, obviously with COVID, but let's say, like, 2017, 2018, it would have, you know, like, ever since the rise of Netflix, like, we, well, I mean, I've personally become super addicted to true crime stuff. And I've always been like that because, like, in, in high school, I even took a forensic science class so like i've always loved zodiac because i'm a big true crime buff i'm a big into circular stuff and it's like it like seeing mindhunter how you know it takes place in like the 70s and stuff like that. like i feel like this was like i mean grants seven took care of like circular stuff but like given the time period like i feel like zodiac was the first step into into david fincher working in mindhunter which i love but like the acting is great rdj should like the fact that this movie received zero Oscar nominations baffling. David Fincher should have gotten nominated for his first Best Director. He should have received his first Best Director nomination for this. RDJ definitely should have been our first Best Supporting Actor. Like, the editing of this movie is so amazing. Like, the movie, I believe, was like two hours and 40 minutes, but I am never bored when I watch this movie. I am fully invested. The storyline is great. And even though, even if you know that the killer wasn't found, you're still, en- you're, it's still engaging. Like, 
you know, for some people, they, you know, like when you find out that, that there's not going to be no conclusion, like in finding the serial killer, they might be turned off. But with Zodiac, it doesn't even matter because the story they're telling is so amazing. And yeah, Elliot, like I- thoughts on Zodiac? Yeah, no, you, I mean, you guys pretty much nailed it a lot in regards to uh, just the, uh, the, again, David Fincher, the way he handles it, the, the uh, historical accuracy in, 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 in the film. Also, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, that was like one of my first Jake Gyllenhaal uh, movies, and it just always carried on. And even some of the stuff from Nightcrawler kind of plays into that role to me. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic film. It's uh, from top to bottom. That, I mentioned it earlier. In regards to length, I'm actually that's like one of the films I feel like runs. It's a little bit too long in the tooth for me. I still enjoy the hell out of it, the story and everything of that nature. But uh, outside of that, man, it is a fantastic film. And and again, you guys already touched uh, touched on it. The performances again: RDJ, Jake, Mark Ruffalo, Brian Cox. I mean, everyone involved. It's probably one of his more like as far as ensemble cast. It's like yeah, an incredible cast. One of the best so, cast. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's 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 incredible, man. And um, you know. The, the crazy thing about it is just the creepy nature of the film. Again, that Zodiac Killer was never found, and it's just uh, a really interesting film for sure. Yeah. And then um, moving on, the movie that I think is still – talk about long on the tooth. <laughs> uh, so next up is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I've rewatched this for the first time in 12 years uh, this week. Same. And, oh, my, it's a it's a technical marvel. The visual effects are pretty still really hold up. Uh, the movie just isn't it. It just isn't it. It's just so, so long. It's an intri- It's an intriguing, like, narrative. It just really just doesn't do it for me. It's. I don't think it's a bad movie. It's actually a very well-made movie. It's just I'm just not that interested. Uh, Elliot, thoughts on Benjamin Button? Yeah, this is... Uh... When we get to the list, this is not high on my list. It's uh, it's one I don't like to revisit. If I'm being honest, yeah, no, I'm with, <laughs> I'm just I'm not with the you. Biggest fan of the film was like, hey, you just mentioned it. I appreciate the visuals. You know, Brad Pitt is great in it. Kate Blanchett, all the acting is really solid. It's just to me, the the story just isn't as engaging. There is, and like you guys mentioned it really early on, as far as like one of the few protagonists in a David Fincher film that you feel for, you care for, and all that stuff. But it just, it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, JC. Like you, I visited for the first time in 12 years. I remember when I first saw it back in 2008, like, I, I did like it. I felt like it was deserving of a lot of his nominations. But, like, on a rewatch, I don't know. Like, like it's definitely, I feel like it's Oscar bait on David, David, um, I was going to say David Lynch, David Fincher style. Like, is the technical stuff obviously gives it a, a different angle than, than most Oscar bait movies, but... It's definitely his, his like more light movie because it has a likable lead, which for David Fincher movies is not really common. But it's just like it's too long. It's like and it's the same writer as Forrest Gump, Eric Roth. So it has similarities. So I think you mentioned it in one of our, in one of the previous episodes, David. Like it has like a lot of style, like going through time and everything. But the the visual effects is still amazing. Like when I was watching, I was telling you, it was like it's like the Brad Pitt, all the like all the looks on Brad Pitt with the visuals is like really, really good stuff. And it's crazy watching it now and seeing how big Maharshal Ali came, became. Yeah. Cause like I, I you know, like I read, I look up at a lot of actor stuff, so I had known he was in it, but I did not recall at all. Like I thought maybe it was he was like one of the people in the boat. Like I didn't even know that he was Queenie's um like love interest. So when I was just watching, it was just good to just see some of the actors that were in it that were 
that had become bigger. Brad Pitt is still really good and very deserving of his Oscar nomination. And and um, I feel like um, Kate Blanchett's character is just the Jenny in this. Like, yeah, is the love is the love interest that says little kids, but it's like they should be together and they shouldn't. And it's just like even with the with the, with the child, with having a child with him and everything, but he can't really be a father to it. Yeah, and Taraji's Taraji's good in it as well. Oh yeah, she was fully deserving of that Oscar nomination. She, I won't say she's the heart of the film, but she like she's a very important emotional core of the movie. Yep. Alrighty, so then we get to uh, I think we all will be in agreement his masterpiece, uh, the best script of the 2010s, the my number three movie of the decade and it's in my top 25 favorite films of all time the social network i would have uh, thought top 15 uh, you know, I had, <laughs> it could be in, in the next the round i i adore every aspect of this movie it is one of those things that i remember where i was i remember the first time i heard about this movie it kind of was like a, a one of those situations that it progressively the intrigue progressively grew i first heard about it and i'm like oh a facebook movie so this shit's gonna bomb then i hear <laughs> the then, then i hear sorkin's writing then i hear fincher's directing and i'm like oh okay sure why not then i walk into that theater and i see that first scene and it just hits so so well and i'm like okay we're on we're on, we're on here but I don't know if you guys feel the same way. When Atticus and Reznor's score hits right away and he's just walking through campus, there's just something about that scene that has always stuck with me of just like him walking through campus, that score, which I think is probably top three of the decade. Um, it just hit with me. But then we just go on and it's everything about that film. Just it's so engaging. There's in reality, there's not much that really happens. It's just a lot of talking. It's a very dialogue driven movie. And for me, I think uh, we did our Oscar episode a few months ago. And I, you know, I said I wouldn't take it away from Colin Firth. But I rewatched Social Network twice after that. And I think Jesse Eisenberg, his performance just gets better and better every time you watch it. And I think, and I'm going to ask you guys as well, My it has my favorite David Fincher movie scene. And that's a scene at the end where where um, Andrew Garfield finds out that he is pretty much getting cut from Facebook and the percentage of his ownership. And you everything works. It just blends in perfectly. The score, the editing, the direction. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I... I am deep throating the shit out of the social network. It is. I fucking, <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Uh, JC thoughts on the social network. Uh, same as you. I really love it. It's very high. My David Fincher stuff. Not number one. Um, but you know how I feel about the script. I, um, it's one of my five favorite scripts of all time. I, it's just perfect. I'm a, I'm a big Sorkin fan. It's just like the ideal ever Sorkin script. A lot of like walking and talking, just very dialogue heavy. And like you, I remember, the, I mean, the first time I heard about the movie was actually more when David Fincher got signed up. And, you know, like I, when that movie came out, you know, you guys are, you, you're old, you're like six years older than me, David. So, you know, you're, you were more into it. But to me, I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be about. It's, I heard Facebook, I thought it was going to be a movie that, that was like, I didn't know it was going to be about the, like the, how Facebook started. I thought it was going to be a movie just like, you know, people using Facebook and other stuff like that. So, you know, when I remember when David Fincher signed up, I'm like, you know, I'm, 
I think Zodiac, I think Seven, I think Fight Club. I, I was thought it was gonna be like his first bad movie. Well, since eighteen three, but when I saw it, like you, the first scene, I was just fully hooked in, and I saw it two times in the theaters. Like Jesse Eisenberg's, he's never been better, and I don't think he'll ever be better because I feel like he nope has like got into this kind of like quirky role, you know, like American Ultra, even even um. His version of Lex Luthor is like basically a Mark Zuckerberg. He plays it like that character, but more annoying. And it's just like the acting, the screenplay, the scores is amazing. Like I know a lot of people, I love the Inception score, but I would not take away that that Oscar from for that movie. Absolutely. And not. then it was it was my intro to Har- Army Hammer, who I'm a big fan of. Like I like I told you, I feel like he's a pretty boy trapped. I mean, he's a character actor trapped in a pretty boy's body, like. He is a great actor who he shouldn't be doing Lone Ranger or any blockbuster movies like character pieces where he's a supporting character like or, or something like um, Call Me By Your Name. Like he's such a great actor. And I love this movie for introducing me to him as an actor as well. I mean, I, I don't want to say no more because I want to see what Elliot has to say. Yep. Elliot, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys said it perfectly, man. Not only did it introduce, yeah, like I just mentioned, uh, Army Hammer, who I'm a big fan of, too. I think uh, even David Fincher might have seen a little bit of Brad Pitt and maybe Army Hammer. Uh, and hopefully, you know, he gets out of those, like you said, Lone Rangers and, and, and wounds on Hulu and stuff like that. Oh, my God, that was more character. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I mean, Andrew, you guys mentioned in Jesse was phenomenal in the film. Andrew Garfield, oh, my goodness. I, 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 like, that character to me is just so great. And, again, it speaks back to this, the, the um, sensibility of David Fincher again all character driven all character focused the creation of Facebook you guys talked on the opening scene I think the reason why it took 99 uh, moments or, or takes is because it's so integral into how the creation of Facebook happened in regards to just yes. such a human level of being broken up with created this conglomerate uh, corporation it's just so crazy to think of uh, but yeah I mean again you guys mentioned the score the acting the directing the direction is so engaging and so little happens in the film. It's literally you're just watching people bicker about yeah, the creation exactly. of one of the biggest things in our, you know, uh, that we use in a social media platform. So, yeah, Aaron Sorkin, the, uh, it's, it's really not much else to say. It's, it's an incredible film. Yeah, question. I think um, when we look at the whole picture now in 2020 uh, with 2020 hindsight, do you think that jesse i mean not jesse but mark zuckerberg his reasoning for facebook does it come off in sully to you he he gets dumped he makes this comparison site for women like it comes off very in sully to me now it's crazy because i remember when the movie first came out he was like oh that talking about like the portrayal about him but i'm like seeing all the stuff that's going on now like the movie was actually very nice to him. Yeah, I think so. He I, tries to say that the, the they portrayed him like such like this horrible person, but like I said, like like you said, like watching and now I rewatched it like like last week, and I was just like, "Yo, bro, you should be happy they portrayed you this nice." If they if they would ever make that sequel, that that thing I sent you the article where, where Evan Sorkin said he would love to make a sequel, like for the for the second book, I think there's a second book to it. But like, if they was to make a sequel, like if you, if he was to watch both, you'd be like, yeah, I prefer the portrayal they gave me in social network. Because if they was, I if honestly, they make a sequel, <laughs> I honestly think that if this was to happen, if they were to try to make a sequel after the second book, it would turn into a Citizen Kane type of thing, where Mark Zuckerberg will do everything for that movie not to see the light of day. Oh sure, but it would. Oh, it, he would. He would. 
he would definitely say that he like the portrayal. I'm like, to this, like I said, bro, they they treated you very nice in the movie compared to how you are now and what mm-hmm. people think of you now. Oh yeah, and then um, one last thing on the social network, I mentioned my favorite scene. What is your favorite David Fincher scene if you have one, uh, Elliot? Ooh, <laughs> that's 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 a, tough, ooh, right? Call me so tough. That yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, since we are speaking on the uh, on the subject, man, I mean, social network is definitely up there. I mean, when he when you know up, the scene when Andrew Garfield comes in and finds out about his you know him being cut, and, and even you know Justin Timberlake's great in that scene too. Uh, just that whole the, and there's been like clips online that just showing like how they shot the scene and, and all that stuff. I wonder how many takes that took, but yeah, for uh, sure, that definitely comes to mind for sure. And then JC, what do you have? Um, it would definitely, it would be this, this scene, like I said, you, like, even though you told me about it, like, like two days ago, like, I still couldn't really think of, but my, like, up for it to, you know, cause with fate, with their finch, like when you rewatch this movie, there could be things you find that you, that you might love that you didn't love before, or just like things you discover more. Like that's also with any movie. Like that's the great thing about rewatching movies. You could find stuff that you, that you like more now that you didn't realize that you liked before. For sure. But I'll say is either this scene or is a cliche, but the ending of seven is just it's too iconic. It's just so perfect. Everything about it is perfect to me. Yeah, you can't so it'll be wrong between there. it'll be between what's in the box and 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 this and the ending of social network for me. All right, perfect. And then moving on, I guess the ninety nine takes helped Rooney Mara get this next role. Uh, so the girl with the dragon tattoo. I've rewatched this again for this, and I this movie has got up on my list. And this performance, oh my god! There's there's so much to dive into this the movie itself, but all I want to touch on is just how amazing and incredible Rooney Mara is in this film. It is it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine how the Iron Lady is better than this. And but it Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. Uh, I guess yeah, of her losing. But I will say, and I don't, maybe you guys will agree. I don't think this role is a role, a perf- like a character that would normally win an Oscar at that during that time. So that's I can, why the nomination was the win. Yeah, so I can see why she didn't win. But she's so amazing, and I personally don't think she'll ever be this good again. Uh, but yeah, I actually think this movie is a lot better than I remembered. And on this rewatch, it definitely went up on my list. Uh, JC thoughts. I'm not the same as you. Like, um, I, I like, I saw the Swedish film. They're good, but I, I, I prefer this version any day of the week. And it was like Rooney Mara's performance. Like I said, is not one that will normally, that would never win an Oscar. I mean, we never know now because Joaquin's character and and Joker, like that, might have opened the everything for like darker moves to maybe get ones and nominations. But her performance is great. Just even the dedication, because I read that. She actually nipple, uh, pierced her nipples and everything like that. Like, you know, like could have just had, you know, that could have been something that, you know, that you like a magnet or something. But just her dedication to the role as to why I love her performance. And then it's it's like a very engaging movie. Like, sure, some like the first time I watched it, even though I seen the the Swedish versions, I was confused with certain things because, like, you know, it was like the cinematography. I, I won't say it's the best because I feel some scenes are just too dark. Like I, there's certain scenes that you can't really see what's happening, but it's very high on my Fincher list. And it's a very cold. I, it's a cold thriller. Like it's so cold. <laughs> like I can see why people, if people don't like it, I can see it because it's such a very I mean, remember, difficult like, movie to get it's into. Like there was supposed to be two more books, and we never got the sequels, which well, I would have loved because David Fincher was game to do it, and Rooney was perfection that role. So I would have obviously loved to 
And given what we got with the girl in the spider's web, I wish we would have gotten the sequel with David Fincher and her. But then it was just like I want to just touch on the on the on the rape scene. Like that scene, I remember the, when I saw it in theaters, there was a lot of girls that I think there, there might have even been two girls that walked out of the, my movie theater because that's a very graphic scene. It is. And you feel for her, you know, she's like screaming, just like Rooney's acting is so great in that. So I remember when the revenge scene happened, when she tattoos her stomach and everything, like there was a lot of people cheering in that scene. And I don't even think they were wrong for that. Yeah. Because at the scene, the way she was raped, like I, that would, for, for, for girls, that was a victory to see her. Cause, you know, there's a lot of, not many movies or shows show that, you know, the, the victim gets to get revenge on, on the person that harmed them. I agree. Uh, Elliot. Yeah. I mean, that, that was well said, man. It's uh, it, it is bleak. It is dark, uh, but it is a fantastic film. The performances by our two leads. I love the chemistry between Daniel Craig and, and Rooney uh, Mara. And I think, uh, again, it speaks to, again, David Fincher being a great character uh, driven actor and his, his actors seem to have so much great chemistry might be for the reason that he has a, a bunch of takes and you kind of, kind of have to get used to just uh, getting that perfection. But yeah, it's 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 a great thriller. It's a it's like I said, it is very dark. It is hard to kind of go through, but it is a very great uh, journey without these characters. And I would have loved to have seen a follow up with that cast. Unfortunately, you know, I don't know if you guys saw the sequel uh, by uh, Febrez, but I, I wasn't a big fan of that. But uh, it, it's a really great film. I don't revisit it that often as much as I probably should. I probably should revisit it uh, soon. But uh, I really enjoy that film. Nice. All right. So last two here, we got Gone Girl. I dug this movie made more than i thought it would uh but it's fincher so i shouldn't have been surprised uh outside before the way back i thought this is like one of ben affleck's best performances i think he's really really solid in this film that's his top two yeah yeah i wouldn't would not disagree with you there um i did not read the book beforehand so the twist i definitely did not see coming so when it did happen i'm like this bitch is crazy uh but (laughs) There's, I mean, there, would you say Roseman Pike's performance is better than Rooney, JC? No, Elliot? but it. Oh. For me, yeah, actually, yeah, you think so? Okay, and you'll cool. you'll see, yeah, where this film lands on my list, but yeah, I, I think so personally. Awesome. So I'll I'll take it to you. What are your thoughts on Gone Girl, Elliot? Uh, it, it is a film that I remember we talked about seeing it at the theater. I've seen it uh, quite a few times at the theater. I was just so blown away by the experience. Again, this relationship. Uh, I just love the opening scene, how it ties into the last scene, and just the journey our characters go through, and just the the nature of again this. As we talked about earlier, him handling thrillers and true crimes. I just thought that the, you know just seeing this toxic relationship play oh, yeah. out on screen is just so great. And you guys said it. You know, Ben Affleck. Um, I think the more I look back at Ben Affleck's career, I think he, in my personal opinion, I think he's a much stronger director than he is an actor. I agree. Uh, but this is definitely one of his more top tier performances and the direction, the suspense, the uh, really great dialogue. That was one of the, uh, I think leftovers came out before uh carrie coon made her appearance but it was just like i was such on a leftover high i love carrie coon I just, she wasn't that integral in the movie but i just love her in the movie as well and uh um you know the, the scene with the with, what was my man's name neil patrick harris neil patrick harris uh, yeah yeah that that scene is is still very haunting and, and very dark and very sinister but I, i'm a big fan of gone girl you you all will see where it lands on my list and and JC, you actually had a fact that you show you mentioned about Gone Girl, right? Which one? 
the what the inspiration for him taking that movie on was? Something no, about trying, but... something about an ex-wife or something along those lines. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, that the the thing was that him that him and and um Gary Oldman have the same ex-wife. Oh yes, yes, something like that. That yeah, that was for Mank. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, that. <laughs> like I, I could imagine the conversations because I'm pretty sure there has to be at least one. Oh, uh, so outside of that, what are your thoughts on Gone Girl? Oh, same as I did. I. I adore this movie. Um, I actually read the book, so like, but it didn't take away from it. Like, I it was still like the direction was amazing. So just seeing it with the audience of people who didn't know the twist that Amy was alive was great. Like when she's driving the car, I remember people were like, "What the fuck?" You know, it was like it's like like I said, that's that's something I miss about the theater experience, just like taking it all in with other people. And, like, Rosamund Pike's character, like, why I don't think it's a better performance than Rooney, I feel her character's more complex and has more layers. It's just that Rooney's, like, character just so much more to me. But that performance should have won her the Oscar. Like, I know that um, Julianne Moore for Still Alice, you know, I feel like it was a great performance, but I feel that was more like, you know, she's long been known as one of the best actors of her generation. That was, like, her fifth nomination. So I feel that was just, like, you know, yeah. let's give Julianne the Oscar now. Yeah. It's one of those that I. It's, it's one. A, of, it's one of those that I mentioned. Like they weren't going to nominate her again and not give her the Oscar. So that's kind of where that like, went. Rosamund Sumner should have won the Oscar. It's one of Ben Affleck's best performances. Like before, with the way back, this was his best performance. Like like Ellis said, this was my introduction to Carrie Coon, who I loved her in Fargo. I loved in The Leftovers, and I I loved her performance. Like I really liked the character. Like I feel like it was she had a good dynamic with Ben Affleck. Like I feel like she was like a voice of reason. Like I remember when um. Emily brought up, I don't know how to say the model's name, but when he was like the morning after when he kissed her and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, she was trying to, you know, like she's the voice of reasons like, you know, bro, like you're being accused of killing your wife and you're here banging your student. So I feel like she gave the movie voice of reason and Tyler Perry for <laughs> only time he's ever been of, great. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> but like, you know, he actually did that shows how much like I mentioned to you, like when we'll get into Mank, like I mean, Grant said, I'm, Tyler Perry's not get, no, oh my god, amazing thing, but it shows that I'm without when he's not writing his own material, he has a good director. He he could actually be a decent solid actor. Yeah, I agree. All right, cool. So let's let's close this out talking about his latest release, which is Mank. I saw this uh, a few weeks ago, and um, full disclosure, I am a avid avid fan of uh a snob level fan of 1930s hollywood so i watch a lot of a lot of old hollywood films so immediately when the movie started i noticed the mono on the on the actors which makes it sound like a 1930s film i think this movie for me it it is I understand, and I wrote it in my review. I wrote it in my reaction. I told anyone that listened to me, I'm like, this movie is not for everybody. Fincher wanted to make this film for cinephiles that knew Citizen Kane, that wanted to know about the politics in Hollywood in the 1930s. I think this movie is more about that than the actual making of Citizen Kane, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, I loved every second of it. 
I was engaged with every second of it because I knew the parties involved. I knew the whole story about Willie Randolph Hearst. I knew the whole story regarding the issues with Citizen Kane, the fact that they didn't, um, the Oscars, it did not win and why it did not win the Oscar. It was very, I will say like, if there is some nitpicks on my end, I wish they would have touched on a little bit more the aspect of Hearst trying to buy RKO studios because it just shows like the political power that certain people had with Hollywood studios at that time. I did wish that we touched on that a little bit more. I don't hate the fact that we don't really have an emotional attachment to any character. I know that's been a lot of the negative uh, press that I'm seeing regarding the film. I'm okay with that because of the actual, for me, the actual theme of the film was more on the politics of the era rather than, Herman Mankiewicz so that's kind of where I would say that I would disagree with some of the negative things that I've seen out there um, I think Gary Oldman's great in it but I think Amanda Seyfried is the standout I think she has never been better I think she's my front runner for supporting actress right now and I'll touch a little bit more but I'll kick that I'll kick it off to Elliot on this yeah, I mean, um, everyone acknowledges that it's a technical achievement. I think this is, and I said it in my review, David Fincher's most ambitious film and definitely a love letter to old Hollywood. And to me, it's almost like, you know, we talked a couple months about Christopher Nolan and I'm thinking of Dunkirk being like his most like accomplished film and just kind of really what, it, what it's like to see the event. And I think this is kind of in the same vein of what David Fincher did in this film where, you know, one of my criticisms, I do applaud the politics of the flashbacks that we get in the scenes are in the film. And, and it was really engaging, but I, I actually really want to dive deeper into the, the the behind the scenes of the making of the film of Citizen Kane and kind of the, you know, the rumor of, you know, where it was in, influential from and also the, uh, you know, the credit that Orson Welles with the rewrites and really who wrote the film and all that. I wish we would have dove a little bit more deeper in there uh, just because I am a big fan of, of just kind of the behind the scenes aspects of movies. But yeah, the acting is superb. Uh, Amanda Stifford, I've been following her since, you know, Mean Girls and seeing her. This is her best performance of her career. Uh, and I really hope this kind of launches her into that category of taking a more serious roles and to really just dive into a character because she was great in the, in the film. Uh, and all the supporting characters, uh, Tom Pelfrey this year from this film to Ozark. Uh, the man is a, a fantastic actor. And I think it's from top to bottom a really well done film. The emotional aspect did kind of connect with me in regards to some of my criticisms fell within just not being able to necessarily gravitate or emotionally connect to a character just because they were so much bigger than life type of characters and, and something that David Fincher does. And I, and I and, and even with Aaron Sorkin had nothing to do with this film. But I sometimes when you have those films that are just like the characters are such bigger than life, they're the smartest person in the room and kind of not detaches me, but I wish it was just something more to kind of gravitate towards and, and the relatability factor. But it's a really great film. It's uh, something I'm excited to revisit here in, in the next few days just because I was, you know, I watched it and it's just like not knowing what to expect, hearing all the hype, being that it's six years since we've seen a David Fincher film that now coming down off of that high and now knowing what the film is and really appreciating for what it was, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of revisit it here soon. Yeah, and before, before uh, giving the mic to JC on this, I think – Fincher made this film, like I said, he made it for a specific demographic here, but I also think that demographic that he made it for knows every aspect of it because I, I'm i okay with this particular part I'm going to mention. You mentioned Tom Pelfrey. A lot of people don't know who he played. Do you, like, Joseph Mankiewicz is responsible for one of the biggest, the biggest 
Oscar-nominated movie of all time, All About Eve. But they don't even, like, anywhere near address the fact that he is going to go into that area. Um, But, yeah, Mankiewicz directed All About Eve. I believe he wrote All About Eve. And I think he suspects he wanted us to already know that going in. And I think I do agree with what you said, Elliot, in terms of the diving into the William Randolph Hearst thing. I I get that they didn't dive into that because of where he wanted to go with the politics and stuff. But I do see where you're coming from with there, what they could have made Willie Randolph Hearst be more of a villain than they really did, because that's exactly what he was at the time. So, but JC, take it away. Um, similar to Elliot, like that was just the only negative I have about the movie as well. Just the characters aren't that likable. Like, which like I said, not, not every movie has to have likable characters, but I would have liked to be, like, the movie's very emotionally detached, which, I, like I said, no problem, but just, I wanted a bit some more, but that's, like, my only negative to it, but, like, same as you guys said, it's a love letter to old Hollywood, right from the opening credits, just, would just scream, would just scream 1930s, like, I was fully hooked in, I felt like I was transported back to the 1930s, the, the technical achievement, like, the sound effect, the sound, the cinematography is amazing, like, it's gonna sweep the technical categories, like you said in your predictions, David, the performances are amazing. Gary Oldman, this is one of his best performances. He's like, I remember you called him the comedian in your in your review, Elliot. The man could just transform into anything. And then he has the the diner scene is like is like some people might call it overacting, but I felt it was just a perfect scene for Gary Oldman because he's so good at doing these very outlandish performances and stuff. And Amanda, she's definitely never been better. It's like I said in my review, and I, you agreed, David. I was like. It David like it shows like what a, how what a great director like David Fincher could do where he could bring out an actor's full potential who hasn't reached it because I've always liked Amanda from from Mean Girls I I don't know how you guys feel but I'm a, I like Jennifer's Body I feel like it's a very underrated cult horror horror comedy and I think she was really good in that and then is basically like I is not for everybody oh no so, I mean, we, definitely we've not. been seeing how divisive it is like is I guess people, like I said, for people who appreciate old Hollywood, who who love behind the scene, behind the scene stuff. Like I, one of my favorite movies about this is um Ed Wood, and as, that's what it reminded me of sometimes about it because of the black and white cinematography and everything. I love those. Like if you're into 1930s movies, if you're into the behind the scene making of movies, and if you're into if you know love and know about the makings of Citizen Kane that this movie's for you, but it's not for everybody. It's his least accessible movie, but that's not a bad thing. Because like you said, it's in this property. He made it for a certain amount of, for certain people, which are technically the people that vote for the Oscars. So I expect this movie to just really dominate the Oscars. I expect it to get like 13, from 10 to 13 nominations. And we've seen with Argo, we've seen with the artists, they, the Oscars love movies that have to do with Hollywood. So it's like, this is gonna it's gonna really dominate the Oscars and Elliot. Like, remember you said that you wanted to see a movie that dealt more with the behind the scenes stuff. For Citizen Kane, I've, I mean, granted the quality is not the greatest because it's a TV movie, but there there's a TV movie called RKO Two Eighty One. It's on YouTube and it's like eighty three minutes. It's a very easy watch and it's more about it. Deal it deals with like. With like with William Wander Hurst, he's him trying to stop the movie, but it deals a lot more with like the making of Citizen Kane, the man does, which I think you should give a watch when you have a chance. 
Oh yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, and then last bit, I think they didn't touch on too much, and I wish they did touch on this particular person too much. Um, Irving Thalberg, because we kind of see him as like the golden child, and then he just dies. So one of the things that he was he was responsible for finding a lot of the actors and actresses from that time because at that time you were owned by the studio you were not privy to work for mgm rko you had to you know if you were signed to warner brothers you work for warner brothers um and he was also responsible for grand hotel muni on a bounty and before he died he was actually the one that found gone with the wind so just to show like he had such an impact on Hollywood in such a small amount of time because he passed away at the age of 37. So they didn't really touch on that. And I understand, you know, they had to get through everything. But like some of the people that he discovered were um, from that era, Joan Crawford, Clark Gable, Gene Harlow, Greta Garbo, Lionel Barrymore. So like he was responsible for all, for all those people. So uh, definitely look into that, like if you're into old Hollywood. But yeah, so that wraps up Mank. I... I loved it. it. It gave an extra um for me because of I love the period so much and I'm so interested in it. But yeah, I can definitely see why it's uh, as divisive as it is. But let's, quick, quick yeah. question about Mank, right quick for you guys, especially just kind of considering David Fincher's deal with Netflix. He's worked with Netflix on TV uh, or TV programming. Would Mank? Would you have been interested in a Mank miniseries, four, four part, five part, six part miniseries to kind of really dive into all the minutiae of stuff that you say you wish you would have dove, dove deeper into? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think they could have dived in more to the to the actual beef between um Hearst, Wells. Yeah, because yeah. and then I would have oh definitely I definitely would have loved to have seen more of Orson Welles because Tom Burke was he got the voice per to perfection perfect, and perfect. the posture and everything like that. So a miniseries definitely would have worked because we would have seen more of Charles Dance. I like I said in my review, he was born to play powerful man. Like he was so great. Like a miniseries would have got, we would have got more of her stuff. Like, of I would have loved to have seen like David said, like how he really was trying to stop this movie from getting released. So a miniseries you know, could have just dived into a whole episode of him, of like all that aspect. We could have got a lot more of of Tom Burke as Orson Welles. I do wonder if I mean this script has been around since Jack Fincher the, passed away. In yeah, he was trying to get this. He was trying to make this after the game. Yeah, I wonder if also they didn't touch up the script even more because maybe they are working on an Orson Welles biopic that we make. Oh, they are? No, it's just an assumption. I wonder oh, if that may be something. I would that love, they, uh, because I would love it's just such an interesting person that I would love to see yeah, a yeah. biopic with that. Um, and last thoughts on Mank. Um, Citizen Kane. I mean, we've all seen Citizen Kane, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, like a requirement. <laughs> if okay. you're a cinephile, so if you want to call yourself a cinephile, you got to watch that. <laughs> Is, sure. I don't think it's the greatest movie ever made. I think it's probably the most influential movie ever made because of the time and how movies were made before Citizen Kane with cinematography mm-hmm. and the and the, the going back and forth in time. Yeah, but like I respect it for what it is. Do you do you think it's at least a top 10 film ever made? It may not be your favorite, but do you think because of its influence, do you think it's a top 10 film ever made? JC? Yes, I do believe that, but it's not nowhere near my top 10. No, but no, I, it's not yet. Like I, I said, about... I, res- I respect it for what it is, and I do feel... It's one of the, actually, like 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 you said, filmmaking was everything. Like I think it's one of the top five best films ever made in that regard. Uh, what about you, Elliot? Yeah, there's no denying the uh, how influential it was to the film industry. So there's just from that alone is definitely one of the top made films ever made, but oh. not in my top list. Yeah, uh, same, same for me. I've just 
definitely yeah. just curious on your thoughts. All right, cool. So let's just finish this up and let's rank our David Fincher films. Uh, what what I'll do is I'm gonna run through my eleven to two, and then we'll all finish up with our, and then I'll pass it over and we'll all finish up with our number one. So. I, sus- I suspect we all have the same last number. one. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Alien 3 is my number 11. Uh, my number 10 is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. My number 9 is Panic Room. Here comes the damn. My number 8 Fight is, is Fight Club. <laughs> uh, my number 7 is 7. Uh, my what? No- yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. My number six, because I feel it's so underrated, I just want to give it some love. I propped it up just for this. Uh, the game, my number six is the girl with the gra- dragon tattoo. Uh, my number five, I mean, my number four is Gone Girl. My number three is Mank. My number two is Zodiac. JC, take it away. Um, Like I said, everybody, we all have the same number. last one. Number 11 is Alien 3. Number 10 is Panic Room. Number nine is Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Number eight is the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh wow! Numbers. Well, remember after ten through one is all great stuff. So no matter where you rank these ten films, yeah, like, you're they're right. all really good. You're right. It's just with him, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get some of the good, really good movies at towards the end. Uh, number seven is Fight Club. Number six is The Game. Number five is Mank. Number four is Seven. Uh, Gone Girls number three, and Social Network is number two. Nice. What about you, Elliot? All right, so my number 11, yes, again, repeat <laughs> of uh, Aliens 3, 3 for 3 on that one. Uh, then my number 10 is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, 9 coming in at Panic Room. Uh, 8, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, 7 is The Game. Uh, 6, Mank. 5, Zodiac. Um, and we'll go, we're stopping at, I'm sorry, 2 or 3? 2. 2. 2, okay. Uh, Fight Club is my number 4. Uh, 7 is my number 3. And then uh, stopping at 2. No, yeah. What's your number two? Social network. Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, my number one. Uh, it's no surprise from our discussion. Social network. I think it's so good, so 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 good. Uh, and then, JC, number one. Zodiac is just, as a true crime buff. Like that movie just speaks to me in so many volumes. Awesome. And then Elliot finishes off. Gone Girl, man. I am in love with that tragic, toxic relationship. <laughs> That's. <laughs> That's that's what taught me how not to act in a marriage. Watching Gone Girl, <laughs> um, and that's your partner thinking always. What are they thinking? You never abs- know. Absolutely, and the fact that my wife loves Gone Girl and that's her favorite David Fincher movie <laughs> just makes me question everything. In Watch life. out, man! Watch <laughs> out. Well, remember, Jen, Jen has a book club and everything. She's a big into books. I know probably her love for the book helps with the movie. Yeah, she actually uh, before we finish off, she actually mentioned like. The fact that's why Gone Girls are number one because that's one of her favorite books, and the fact yeah, that the Fincher Fincher was able to really adapt it extremely well, exactly. yep. so that really pushed it to the top for her because she's not really big on David Fincher films. I'm surprised she liked Mank. I mean, he's a quiet taste. Yeah, absolutely. shout out to Gillian uh, Flynn. I- I'm a big fan of her work with Sharp Objects uh, and Euphoria Utopia? was really interesting. Yeah, Utopia was really interesting. I know a lot of people hated it because they compare it so much to the original, which I, st- which I still have to watch. Uh, but I know it's, every time I, I speak to someone about it, they always compare it to the original. So I'm like, take it away from the original. What do you think about the show? But I know it, it unfortunately got canceled. So yeah, question two, for you, Elliot, so. the fact that it got canceled, should I still watch it? Is it still good enough to watch, even though we know it's not going to continue? H- have you seen the original? The, the UK? No. 
Okay, I, so I haven't seen the original, so I was I went into it blind, just kind of knowing that it was based on a pandemic and all that. So I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, but I know, like I said, every one of the comments was just like, "It's so bad because yeah. it doesn't le- hold a candle to the original." That. And they, like, yeah, yeah, like, people could not separate it from the original. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate. I had a fun time with it, and I wish we would have got a season two. Who knows? Maybe someone else yeah, picked it up. That's 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 the problem with me. Like sometimes I'll wait for a show to finish. So I, I mean, granted, I think they released all the episodes at once, right? Yeah, they. Uh, so, Exactly. I've got a, yeah, I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, sometimes it was like when a show gets canceled, it just to me, I'm like, is it even worth watching? So there's not gonna be no continuation. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was asking, like, is it still worth watching? Like, even if even though they're not gonna continue it, I would say so. I had a good time with it, okay. and also, like I said, Sharp Sharp Objects. I'm a big fan of that show. Oh well. yeah, Amy Adams. That's probably her best performance after Arrival. So great. All right. All right. So that wraps everything up. If you love David Fincher, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast, and we'll see you at the movies, kids. Thank you.